Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, and we are not pleasing the tease. And that's all my fault. <laughs> Remember what I told you about pleasing the tease? Wes, I'm not going to ask. Wes told you that Mike Dominski was going to be joining us in this segment, but that's not true. And it's all my fault. Instead, Mike Dominski is going to be joining us at 2 o'clock because I set up the shindig last week, and I put in the group chat that Mike was going to be joining us at 1 so Wes, because he didn't know any better, and why would he? I told him it was going to be 1 o'clock. He teased it, and no, that's my fault, everybody. So what the thing you're going to have to do is is stick around for another hour, another hour and 20 minutes. How, just just listen to WFNZ all day long, and that way you can catch Mike Jeminski talking more. ACC basketball come 2 o'clock right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. So instead, let's talk more uh, about the... NFL mock draft that Todd McShay released because ESPN, they're just rotating all of their draft analyst conversation. You have Todd McShay, you have Mel Kuyper, you have Matt Miller, you have quarterbacks flying all over the place, whether Carolina trades up, whether they stay at nine. Mostly, though, the last few, we've seen Carolina taking a quarterback. Now, a lot of the mock drafts I've seen have had Carolina taking C.J. Stroud, and honestly, a lot of them have been... Carolina taking C.J. Stroud at number nine. Yeah. Not here, Wes. In this mock draft, we saw Todd McShay have Bryce Young number one after, in this scenario, the Colts would trade up. Mm. And then second overall, C.J. Stroud went. He was the second QB off of the board going to the Houston Texans. So those two guys are off the board. Will Levis actually went seventh in this mock draft. The only one left, Anthony Richardson, as far as the guys that are at the top of the board. He had Carolina taking. How would you feel if this scenario played out? If the three were gone, I know you're not a big fan of Will Levis, but how would you feel if this is how Carolina operated in the NFL draft and Anthony Richardson was that guy at number nine? Uh, as I've said before, I'm not that big of a fan of Anthony Richardson. I believe I made the comment before that he was um, oh, whoops, the quarterback from Virginia Tech that got turned into a tight end. Logan Thomas. Logan, Logan Thomas. Thomas. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's just the thing with him is just he's such a streaky passer, and I just feel like that you can only get away with uh, playing RPO football for so long if you're not a very skilled passer and reader of the field. And so that's the thing that worries me the most about him. I would love to be wrong because the physical tools with him are spectacular. I think the Cam Newton comparisons are apt, but I do think Cam uh, was a better passer coming in. I mean, we're talking about Cam first game out through for 400. So um, I don't know, as I said, that I think that he will reach the heights as a passer that Cam Newton did, and that's what makes me nervous about Anthony Richardson. There's no doubt. It's a risk, and we can hear some of the analysis on that front from Charles Davis, who joined Mac and Bone, to talk about Anthony Richardson as a prospect. He may be the best-looking prospect in this draft in terms of quarterback, but then I throw on the tape, and I see a good game. I see an eh. I see what was that throw. I saw no consistency, I see 13 starts. That's been a problem for quarterbacks coming out in recent years. Yeah, the lack of starts thing is interesting because I think the first time I remember that being such a talking point, and I'm sure it happened before, 
Mitch Trubisky, that was a big talking point. And we all know how that went with Chicago and how that's gone since. I'm trying to think of any quarterbacks that have not started a lot of games that actually did start to pan out maybe a couple seasons into the NFL. But that's certainly something that has been a problem with some of these raw QBs. I mean, even Jalen Hurts, right? Someone that made a huge leap this season. You got more weapons. We talked about the whole A.J. Brown thing. The offensive line, tremendous. But even Jalen Hurts had a lot of starts under his belt. Mm -hmm. Whether it be at Alabama, sure, they benched him on the championship stage. Big-time moment for him. Had a lot of starts under his belt. And then goes to Oklahoma, does the same thing, right? Starts a lot of college football games. And so you wonder, okay, is there a faster trajectory for guys that might be older, might have started more games, and so that might hurt you as far as the whole contract situation goes, but that means they've also played more football to keep it in a really simple analysis type of situation here. What do you make of that? Well, I do think that that is definitely a big factor because when you think about it, when you come into college and depending on what type of offense that you run, and we know a lot of these guys run similar offenses when you're talking about the RPO game, but we've seen NFL playbooks. We see how thick they are. We see how complex it is. We see what the greats have to do to be great as far as all of the studying and all of the things that go into it and the little things that can make the difference between you making a mistake and having a successful play. So when you talk about these quarterbacks in college that have a limited amount of starts, we don't know how much of the playbook their coach is giving them. We don't know how much they've absorbed. When you look at a guy like Richardson, maybe the coaches are sitting there like, okay, well, um, he's not quite ready for this much of it yet because he's limited. And so if he stays in our system another year, then maybe we could put the full playbook on him. So you think about that, but then the pros get so obsessed with what they see from these guys physically. So you can only imagine what that jump must be like to where you're probably not grasping and using your entire playbook in college. And you probably haven't grasped all of that. And now you're stepping up to a book that's like advanced, graduate level arithmetic and you're like wait a minute what is this and mm -hmm. then on add on top of that the, def the defenders are way better you add on top of that the fact that your athleticism is not just going to dominate the day and yeah it could be very hard for that whereas you have guys who play in systems for a long time they get terminology they get good studying habits they figure out best ways to absorb playbooks, and then they come to the NFL, and they can adapt better. So I definitely think the starts deal is huge for guys coming out, and I would want a more uh, seasoned quarterback. I mean, if I was to think about – I mean, even Vic started two years at Virginia Tech. So, I mean, I was just trying to think of guys who have had – because you think about the fact that he came out as a redshirt sophomore. So that's very young to come out as a quarterback. But I'm trying to think of guys who – might have had limited starts that have come in the NFL and play well, but that is a very tall order. I mean, Cam had one year at Auburn. Well, that that was the situation I was going to go with, yeah. too. The thing is, do you put some credence on his blend championship? Because he did start. It wasn't at the SEC level. Right. But he did have another year starting. Yes. Right? And so when we're talking about a Anthony Richardson and having the 13 starts, where did he start after that? Or before that, it, it's at Florida, and that's it, right? So with Cam Newton, I was going to go to that exact example as well, but he did start at Blinn. He did at least go to Florida first. And, and especially then, when you're talking about Richardson, as Charles Davis said, the tape wasn't consistent. And that's what worries you even more, because that's telling me you're not 
a master of your offense. You want more polish in the passing game, mm-hmm. but you see some plays that are like, oh my God, people can do this. This yeah. is an actual thing from mm-hmm. people and it's enticing. Mm-hmm. I myself, I, I am with all of those people that uh-huh. are salivating at the chance of seeing that in a Panther uniform because of all the exciting plays he could bring. And here's the thing too with Panthers fans, which is a little interesting to me as well. Text messages are saying they don't want Anthony Richardson. They don't want to take a QB just to take one, right? You don't want to take that risk. We saw, I don't know how big of a risk it was with Cam. You know, it, it certainly wasn't Richardson in the way of throwing the football. I, I thought Cam was a better thrower than giving credit for coming out of college, right? I didn't think it was like this with Anthony Richardson. But we had the exciting QB. We had a one-of-one scenario at the time. Pretty unprecedented type of QB here in Carolina, and it worked. <laughs> it you actually landed it at number one overall. And so I, I, I'm kind of curious, just as far as a case study goes with all the fans, I'm surprised to see so many people out on an Anthony Richardson because they did, uh, you know, not so much of a risk, I guess, but you did see the exciting QB that you drafted, and it worked with Cam Newton being here just uh, over a decade ago when you drafted him. 704-570-9610. Feel free to text in. Some people writing in uh, Trey Lance, one year at North Dakota State. That's another guy right. that was uh, that does not have a ton of starts under his belt. Hasn't really worked out yet. 704 number put in that uh, they believe Bill Polian says not to consider any, anyone under 24 starts. Uh, you know, so Bill Polian giving you that kind of uh, that kind of sample size to work with. And also, Todd McShay talks about it. He has Richardson as his 36th overall prospect. Mm-hmm. But number nine, drafted because Carolina is the next team up that might need a QB. And I don't know if I want Carolina to reach for somebody like that. I do think that you see it all the time where, you know, mock drafts are all over the place. Guys that pundits were way behind on end up, playing well in the NFL and then you see it reverse right this is a guessing game at the same time if Carolina doesn't believe Anthony Richardson can be that guy I don't want them to reach just because he's a QB it's all about what their faith level is in him not necessarily our own but it's going to be so hard to do that again we talk about the draft process all of the time I think it's safe to say Anthony Richardson will have one of the more amazing quarterback workouts that you're going to see And all it takes is that to happen and for teams to start talking themselves into what they can do with said prospect. You know these NFL coaches have big egos and they think that, man, I can really work with that. And they get suckered in every time. If he decides, because I think he's a guy that will do a full workout for the scouts, and he's probably going to run 4-4, probably no slower than a low 4-5 at 235 pounds or so, 240 pounds. I believe he goes about six or something around that range, his arm is off the chain. So you know that the passing portion of the workout is going to be exceptional as well. And that's all it's going to take. And then somebody, even the Panthers, if the guys that they wanted over him aren't there, but they will still think about that workout, they will still think about that potential, and there will be the coach in the room, especially now with this staff being what it is, They will say, we can bring him along. We can turn him into what he needs to be. And then he'll get here, and then we'll see what the results are. Well, and they might be right. And I would love it if that's what they decided to do and they were right, especially Mm -hmm. with this coaching staff and the offensive prowess that the staff brings. A couple people writing in, AR said, there's only one Cam Newton. Please stop with the comparisons. Yeah, I'm not trying to 
compare Anthony Richardson Nobody's saying, saying he's going to come in and be an MVP, but I'm saying from a physical standpoint and as far as the physical attributes that he has, size, speed, athleticism, arm strength, he does compare to Cam Newton. People well, stop with the hero. Well, works. and we also brought it in and then kind of corrected ourselves a little bit with the one year starting, right? Cam only started one year at Auburn. But again, mm-hmm. we acknowledge that he does have the starts under Blinn, and that might be a, a big difference here as well. And so you have Anthony Richardson at nine, right? All the other three quarterbacks are off of the board. Somebody wrote in too, could you, could you sign Derek Carr, draft Anthony Richardson as well, and then roll from there. I know you're not a big fan of drafting a QB if you do sign Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. And so you would rather allocate that draft pick to something else to help out this team. But if you like Derek Carr a lot, I do think there's an argument to be made because if you're only bringing him in on a, a couple of years you know, worth of contract, right? And then you need to make another move then maybe it would be nice to have that young QB already on the roster once Derek Carr you know, moves on or you decide to move on and go elsewhere, but you're still not feeling that scenario? No, because I think Derek Carr, like I said, he's 31 years old. This is a guy that's proven to be a starter-level quarterback and uh, an above-average starter to a guy that can win you football games. As I pointed out, when you talk about the yards and completion percentage, and then you talk about the fourth-quarter comebacks that he's had, he's more than capable of winning football games in this league, and it will be interesting to see what he can do in a different environment. If he comes to a franchise that has more stability in it, like the Panthers as far as uh, having a defense, having a mantra as far as liking to win with defense and running the football, so he'll have some things at his disposal he hasn't quite had in uh, Las Vegas and Oakland. And so I think that's the interesting thing. But for a 31-year-old quarterback that has a lot of football left to play, that's played at the level he's played at at times, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. I just I just can't get behind the money, man. Like, if, if you're really going to pay $37 million to Derek Carr, just way too much. And that's what the spot rack projected value is. I'm not saying that's what the, is reported from any other NFL team. I just can't get on board with paying him 37, 35 million a year, just a lot of money. Like that takes a lot away to then go spend on other pieces like the offensive line and wide receiver and tight end, which you don't even have. And even de- the defense needs some sure up too. I mean, this is a defense that needs another pass rusher opposite of Brian Burns. You need another linebacker. Cornerback depth isn't exactly as strong as we all thought. I, even with 37, you're okay with that if it, if it goes to that kind of projected value. Well, I mean, the salary cap is going up, and we don't know what moves the Panthers will make to free up space. But uh, as I said, when you look at some of the other quarterback salaries, when you talk about Jalen Hurts getting ready to get an extension upwards of $50 million, um, and when you talk about what some of these upcoming quarterbacks, what Lamar Jackson is potentially going to get, I don't see 37 as being that bad. And we know like any of these contracts, after about two years, that's going to be – ninth 10th 11th something like that so uh yeah i don't see a problem like that for a guy i mean i like their car obviously a lot more than you do yeah so i don't see a problem with that 704-570-9610 feel free to get in on the quarterback conversation we will take a quick break and we will come back with plenty more here on wesson walker again sports radio 92.7 wfnz mcdonald's is not new to chicken so maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. 
They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I hope everybody out there is having a good day, like this song was. Did Mama cook the breakfast with no hog this morning, or what? I hope you flirted with the triple-double today. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, no doubt, man. Hit us up on the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. Hit us up on Twitter, Wes and Walker, W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R. Hit that follow button. All right, so interesting news came out about the Panthers, and we know this all-star coaching staff that they are assembling. And a certain analyst came out and said that uh, he was contacted by the Carolina Panthers, amongst other teams, about a prominent coaching role on the staff. So, I mean, with this being said, we're talking about Dan Orlovsky of ESPN, and if they had added him or the fact that they were trying to add him, does it feel like the Panthers are trying to assemble like a dream team type of coaching staff? How would we have felt about a guy like Dan Orlovsky having a prominent role on the coaching staff? And does his TV analysis lend itself to Panthers fans being comfortable with him in such a role? I know that was a loaded question there, but we got a lot to chew on. Well, Dan Orlovsky, it's not the first time. And Adam Schefter put out a tweet earlier today saying that it's not going to be the last time that somebody reaches out for him. But the Colts and the Panthers both reached out interested in Dan Orlovsky being a part of their coaching staff. And so if he ends up going that route in his career, fine. I I, I do think that they're trying to assemble an all-star staff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what David Tepper is trying to do, right? He doesn't care. He's going to go after everybody, and he's going to pay Ajero Averro. He's going to pay Josh McCown to be QB coach. He's going to pay everybody, right? Jim Caldwell, Dom Capers, welcome aboard. Let's bring the band back together. And it's funny because Orlovsky himself put out there on Twitter that Carolina was assembling the best staff. Do you think he said that with uh, them reaching out to him in mind? Like, yeah, they're assembling the best staff, and they also want me. I could see that. I could see that for sure. <laughs> but he's doing that, and um, I, I mean, I don't know how much I'd feel you know, fantastic. I think he's a great NFL analyst. I think he does a very good job of breaking plays down, and whether I disagree or agree with him, I do think he does a great job of getting his point across, right? Breaking down film. He and Ryan Clark, when they work the big screen together, I think that is very good ESPN X's and O's TV, but I don't know if that necessarily makes him a great coach. We've seen that there has been reported interest a couple of times in Dan Orlovsky this offseason. He went on the Dan Levitard show a few years back, by the way, and told you, yeah, there was a team that reached out to me even then. So this isn't completely foreign. I think, yes, 
yes to your question as far as the all-star staff they're trying to assemble. I'm going to say no as far as that would make me feel that much better. I think I'd feel fine about it, but I don't know if I'm looking to Orlovsky and saying, okay, yeah, that hits me the same that Campin, Averro, Capers, Caldwell, all those guys hit me. Yeah, and the thing is, he's one of my favorite TV football analysts. I like his analysis a lot. And so I was thinking more about the Mike Mayock type of deal, even though Dan has extensive playing experience, albeit as a backup. But you think about taking a guy straight off of TV and putting him in a row, and that's why I found this question to be interesting because of the whole Mike Mayock type of deal. Oh, yeah. No, it absolutely has a role. If he's not on NFL Live every single day throughout the NFL season – He's not getting this much interest. Maybe if he would have wanted to go into coaching immediately instead of TV, then I'm sure he could have found somewhere, right? Like you see this all the time with backup quarterbacks. Hell, Frank Reich himself is a backup quarterback that is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. And so maybe if that's the route Orlovsky would have taken in the first place, I'm sure he would have received some interest. But you're right. Being on TV is now an avenue to possibly get into coaching or in the decision-making process. You mentioned Mike Mayock. We already saw John Gruden, so I don't know how much that really counts, but Mike Mayock is that guy. How about John Lynch, who, yes, was a former player, but then was a Fox analyst, and then he was hired to be the decision maker of your San Francisco 49ers after he spent a long time in the TV game. We saw it also with Lewis Riddick, who was a part of the front office and then goes to ESPN, and then he's doing that for a while, but there had been some interviews requested for Lewis Riddick, too. Yeah, the TV the TV game is absolutely an avenue. Yeah, I know. I agree with you 100%. I think that Orlowski would do a good job. He seems to just have such a intimate knowledge, and I like the way he looks at things. He doesn't deliver information just in a cookie-cutter way. Like, he really gives you the hard truth sometimes that you want to hear or that you might not want to hear if he is uh, talking about your team. So uh, it would have been interesting. But like I said, I think, in my opinion, just looking at him and he seems to be a family guy. And I saw he has like four kids or something like that, I believe. So I think he was probably like TV life is probably better for him at this point. It's not a bad gig. And getting out there grinding 12, 14, 16 hours a day being a, a, a coach. So I think if I was him, I would probably lean the same way. All right, so the Panthers, we've seen some of the, uh, like I said, we've been talking ad nauseum about the hires on this staff. And when you look at the Deuce Staley's and you look at the Jim Caldwell's and you look at the uh, Ezra Evero hire, and then, you know, they're talking about Brian Johnson, but it looks like he's going to be promoted to the Eagles' uh, offensive coordinator. But do you feel like just thinking outside the box for a minute, just uh, asking those questions, being an advocate, so to speak, okay, <laughs> saying, do we feel like the Panthers hiring so many minority uh, coaches on the staff make up a little bit for the image hit that they took uh, in not hiring Steve Wilkes? Do you think that was part of some of the decision-making process on some of the hires that they made? I'm sure Steve Wilkes doesn't feel great about it. He wanted this head coaching job, and you're still putting Frank Reich in charge of the coaching staff. Look, I think Carolina, I think Frank Reich, they they set out to get what was an awesome staff, and Deuce Staley is highly regarded. Jero Averro, highly regarded. Jim Caldwell, with a lot of coaching expertise, having gone to the playoffs a couple of times with a franchise in Detroit that historically not gone to the playoffs all that many times. And so if you're talking about Frank Reich and or David Tepper, Carolina, trying to hire minorities more so just because of that impact, I don't know if that's necessarily the case Mm -hmm. because all these guys are highly regarded. But yes, I do like to see 
African-Americans getting a shot to eventually possibly be a head coach. And I don't know if that's going to happen here, but you saw it with Dan Campbell, right? I think Dan Campbell, as soon as he got that head coaching job, he was giving minorities an opportunity. I think you saw it with Bruce Arians quite a bit. You bring in Todd Bowles, you bring in Byron Leftwich. You know, look, when we talk about the Rooney rule and how it doesn't work, I've always felt a little bit, you know, I don't want to say gross, but I don't know if that's all the way necessarily true that the Rooney rule doesn't work because ultimately it's going to be up to the owners hiring whoever they want. There's not a rule that you can put in place unless you're talking about big time consequences, taking away all sorts of draft picks. And at that point it sends the wrong message, right? right? Like it's like, okay, well now you have to hire them. You know, you can't hire whoever you want and it's, it's going to be really hard to legislate how the owners think about all of this. But I do like that Deuce Staley is a name that is in the is in, at the forefront now. I do like that Jim Caldwell is getting his flowers, so to speak, or a part of a coaching staff because he is so coveted with his football prowess. Ajero Averro, I think he's going to be a head coach in the league someday. As long as it works out for Carolina and that defensive side, yeah, I think it's all going to work out. So I am glad to see minorities get some of these roles with Carolina. I don't know if it makes it feel better about Steve Wilkes, though. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is... The reason I brought that to the table was the fact of how how David Tepper talked about when he was asked about this at Frank Reich's press conference, and he ran down the litany of minorities that he has working inside of the Panthers organization that we don't see as far as being coaches or being players on the outside. And so I thought that that was an interesting look on it. Um, I felt like that may have played a little bit into the thinking of it. I know these were all highly uh, tied candidates, but I could definitely see Tepper, uh, you know, going back one day and saying, well, you know, yeah, I, I didn't hire Steve Wilkes, but look how many guys uh, I gave opportunities to on this staff and, and the minorities that I hired in, in prominent roles on this staff. So I think it was a little bit into um, the thinking as well, not solely, but uh, that's why it made me think about that because I was like, man, you know, well, just off what he said in that press conference, I could see this being something that he could go to in the future as far as to say why he did not hire an African-American head coach uh, that was qualified that he saw win with his team. All right, so you just talked about Evero being a head coach. We know some of the experience they have where you talk about Capers or Caldwell Deuce Staley was also a guy that was somewhat uh, being talked about as a potential head coach a little bit, um, or he's a guy that could be looked at that. He's an assistant head coach at this point. So how many potential head coaches do you see on this Panther staff, uh, you know, as we see it today on paper before they ever hit the field and we can dissect performance? The OC might add to this list whoever that may be mm-hmm. but right now i see we can one. put it in there like a creative player like how michael jordan used to be in the video games like roster guard 23 so we can call him oc he, he do he you mean do you mean like reggie stalker on baseball games because they didn't want to honor barry bonds right so right. so if if reggie stalker is the offensive coordinator <laughs> Maybe he leaves for another head coaching job. But as far as the guys that have real names and real faces, I think only one right now. I think Ajero Averro is the guy. Because Deuce Daly, you're right. He had been picking up some kind of steam. But I think he's going to be an OC before he's a head coach. And so right now, if you're talking about the very distant future, possibly. But even so, Wes, I mean, guys with the running back background aren't necessarily getting those jobs. Eric Bieniemy is one. It's a very loud one with an offense that is flourishing under Andy Reid. It wasn't uh, Anthony um, 
Oh, he's the head coach of the Chargers. Yeah, Anthony Lynn. Yeah, Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn does back. have a running back background. That's right. So so look, it's it's not non existent. They're not extinct, mm-hmm. but clearly you're going with passing game coordinators. Clearly you're going with QB coaches offensive coordinators that are of the passing ilk. And so I don't know if I'd put Deuce Staley there right now. We've seen some defensive guys get jobs. We saw D'Amico Ryans. We just saw Gannon from Philadelphia, the defensive coordinator. So that's a little bit more frequent than even running back backgrounds as far as I can remember. I think Vero is the guy. I mean, Wes Caldwell, close to 70 years old, man. I mean, how many people are going to hire a 68-year-old right now? Dom Capers, I don't even know if he's in the business of trying to get a head coaching job. So we liked that. I don't know if you're talking about James Campen getting that job right. So to me, it's just Averro at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think that Averro is the guy that, you know, I've said I'm not sure will be here long if he comes in and does his job. And so, I mean, Deuce Staley, off of what I saw from Hard Knocks. I'm not sure he strikes me as a head coach type because I was thinking too, like in the totality of his career, will he ever be a head coach? Uh, I would say I don't think so either. I think, uh, you know, he fits into that assistant head coach slash position coach deal well. I'm going to go with roster offensive coordinator uh, will definitely be a head coaching candidate if they could come in and do a good job here. Uh, as well so as far as I'm concerned I'm with you I go with one guy on this staff right now and then I will I will go with two because I'll go roster offensive coordinator but you know a lot has to happen for that and if that does happen that means the Panthers have had a lot of success if they are indeed able to get an offensive and defensive coordinator to end up being a head coach well it's also Kind of the reason you like this coaching staff as well, because Averro, if he leaves, it means he did a good job with Carolina and the value didn't tank, right? You have to be here. And and my buddy Nada, who had joined the show, he kind of texted me about, don't forget that you get picks for minority coaches and GMs leaving, right? It has to be two years, I believe, for you to get a compensatory pick. And we talked about that just last week. Mm. And so when you're discussing someone like Averro, if he stays two years and then goes, that is a way, even if you view this from a cynical standpoint, that is a way to try to get compensatory picks, which would also behoove teams to try to land minority coaches and um, having them as a defensive coach or a defensive coordinator or in Deuce Staley's instance, a running back coach. Right. And so, you know, if Averro stays for two years, then, you know, fantastic. It means that he's doing a great job, even if he is getting consideration on the outside. But if he leaves, that means he did a great job. I just don't know what other coaches are going to leave outside of Averro. And that's what also you kind of like about this coaching staff. You have some staying power alongside you know you you plus david tepper has the bag he's got all the money to throw at some of these other coaches where it's like all right well i've got a buddy in new york or wherever that is wanting to hire me you know i might go over there david tepper can say to Campin or whoever you want to pick okay well you know we're going to throw you more money why don't you stick around here oh okay yeah i'll stick with the panthers right so i think a lot of that is kind of working in their favor and i think before we go to the fitty flash i would ask you too just off the cuff do you think that this is a trend now from Tepper and we have one of those owners, like you see Donald Sterling in the NBA, he'll go to no lengths to win. Do we think that Tepper now after this offseason is a guy that even when they do lose said coordinators and things of that nature, that he's going to go all out as opposed to also what we see uh, over at the cable box 
at Spectrum Center with Michael Jordan, how he doesn't necessarily go all out to try to win, whether you talk about coaching hires or making trades, free agency, whatever the case may be. Do we think that this is a trend with Tepper where he's going to go at all costs to put a winner on the field? Yeah, I, I've said it a million times. I've got a lot of criticism for David Tepper. One that I do not have is his spending money. That is, it, That sucks as a fan. If your owner refuses to spend money, then that sucks. And that's not David Tepper, right? Like, this is someone that has no problem spending money on coaches. And I have no problem with that. Like, David Tepper talked about it. There's no there's no salary cap for coaches. Hire everybody that you want. It's not my money. Like, when we talk about why it's smart to allocate money when it comes to personnel, mm-hmm. that's because it affects your team building. That's because that does affect me as a fan. Yeah. I do have an opinion on what you should do there. But if you want to hire all the best coaches you possibly can and then, quote, unquote, overspend, I think we can all agree he overspent on Matt Rule. But whatever. That doesn't hurt you. That's not like dead money on the actual salary cap. So, yeah, th- this is a good part about Tepper. This is something that I do actually emphasize and I do embrace. Go after the assistant coach that is coveted all across the NFL and then spend all the money you want getting him. Yep. Well, Fiddy. All righty. So I don't really have any news coming out. It's been a slow day in the sports world. So I have a question for you. We're on the eve of the NBA All-Star break with the Hornets playing their final game before the break tonight against the Spurs. What has surprised you the most about the NBA season so far? It could be Hornets related Mm. or just NBA related. I would say... Well, one, the trade deadline for sure. Uh, I did not see. I thought it was going to take until the summertime before the Nets made some of the moves that they made. I thought once that they decided to do it, uh, as far as keeping them on board, I thought that they would be there through the season. And especially the way they were playing together when Kyrie finally got it together and finally came back and they started winning basketball games. I thought this was a team that was going to be a championship contender. So the fact that both of those guys have been traded right. during the season is the biggest surprise to me so far. Well, 100%. I, I would say that as well because, look, and maybe I shouldn't be saying it's surprising because it is Kyrie Irving, but you just didn't have any conversation around Kyrie for, you know, a long time by Kyrie standards and it seemed like Brooklyn was playing very well. It seemed like they were poised to make a run at all of this and so I do think that that's why it's pretty surprising as well. Now he's balling with Dallas. Nobody's denying the talent on the court but yeah, the the fact that we saw trades happen at the trade deadline rather than the offseason, I do think it's surprising. Alright, well when we come back break out the court bats, break out the resin, break out the PEDs. We're going to talk about MLB favorites for next season in Fiddy's favorites right here on the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
we've gone to it, but we brought it back because of the kind of start of baseball season. We're still a little bit away. Is it going to, when do you consider opening day for baseball? Do you consider it the actual day where everybody starts? The actual opening day. But there's also a game usually before where it's like a week before. Are they doing that this year with baseball? No, they, they, they got rid of that because I think they realized how kind of stupid that was. It was. It they really would start was. On like on a Sunday and then we would wait till Thursday or Friday to get the season going. Um, so yeah, like today is just like train, uh, like spring training report day. Right, well, right. Pitchers and catchers mm. reporting. And that's always something that gets baseball fans excited, uh-huh. including yourself decked out in the Mets uniform. You got the stirrups on, you got the Jersey, you got the hat. And you said the highlight of your Valentine's evening yesterday was getting the stain out of your Keith Hernandez Jersey. That is correct. Last week. Remember <laughs> when y'all were gushing over the pizza that flounder brought in? Well, when I was eating that pizza, I got a big old pizza grease stain on it. Uh, and so I washed it, and I couldn't get it out. Took it to my mom's, and she has some stain remover. That couldn't get it out. So you know what did the trick? She just took some good old uh, dishwasher uh, detergent to it and got it right out for me. I, I have a go-to person in the family to get the stains out, for sure, of the shirts, right? Like the ones that are, you, you hate that some pizza stain ruined a shirt that you really like, and then you can just go to your grandma or somebody like that. you got to have somebody in the family to get those stains out. I'm glad your mama was able to, well, I guess she wasn't. You were able to do it. You try your you tried to have your mama help you out, but she wasn't able to help you. Oh no, she did it. Yeah, oh, like she's you. the one that did. Okay, oh, I apologize. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad she was able to, so you could rep the Mets jersey today. And because of it being the day that we see pitchers and catchers report, we're going to go with the World Series favorites, or should I say, the World Series fitty favorites. The first time we brought back this segment in quite some time, fitty hit us with a visit to the mound. Come on, we'll take you on right here, right now. Come on. Is that y'all don't know what any of my answers are. I left them blank on your cheat, but I wrote them over here. Oh, that's good producing. Yeah. There you go. Nice job. That way I can get some more natural reaction out of you guys. And so we'll start at number five with my beloved New York Metropolitans. They enter this season with a payroll with taxes included of $468 million. $150 million more than the Bronx Bombers, the PED-using New York Yankees. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Even without Carlos Correa. So if they would have landed Correa, if that actually would have happened, would you have moved them up a little bit further on this list rather than have them sit at number five? Yeah, no, they would have definitely been higher, but we dodged a bullet because the doctor that checked out his ankle Said it was, quote, the worst ankle he's ever seen from a baseball player. (laughs) So whenever he's up there in Minnesota freezing his ass off, I'm not going to feel too bad. Who said that? You said what? I said, who said that? Remember I told you? No, but remember I told you it was something fishy. Just saying. I have no clue what you're talking about. Remember I said that when they didn't sign him, I told him that was going to be a blessing in disguise because something was up if he couldn't pass it. Teams just need to consult you. 
and then yep, figure come out. Come holler at they, me, man. Yeah, 100%. I figure out the cap. Yes. All right, Fitty, go ahead. Dr. Wes Bryant. Number four, <laughs> we're going to stay in the city of New York. I do have the Yankees there. They made the ALCS a year ago. I know they weren't as aggressive maybe as uh, as Yankee fans wanted Brian Cashman to be over this offseason. This is a make-or-break year for Aaron Boone as the Yankee skipper. He doesn't get the job done. He'll be back on TV pretty shortly. Is it going to be deserved if they don't? Or do you think this is one of those, look, I know people apparently kind of got over the Joe Girardi managerial style, but this does feel like, okay, Joe Girardi couldn't get the job done. They move on. They bring in Aaron Boone right now. He can't get the job done. To me, I apply a lot of that to it just being baseball, and it's really hard. And even with the Dodgers doing everything they can within player personnel, signing all of these guys to monster contracts, Baseball is the most inconsistent uh, league at finding the best team. Like, yep. that's just how it is. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they you operate. Know, New York, man, they don't play any games. They don't. You got to win. And if you're not doing it fast enough, you're gone. And I'll, and, and I'll answer your question. Do I think he deserves to be fired? No. I think he's done a really good job given the injury luck he's been dealt with, given an incomplete roster at times. I don't think he deserved to be fired. Number three. I've got the San Diego Padres. They made the NLCS a year ago. It's they happening. made the big splash this offseason, uh, getting Xander Bogarts. They get Fernando Tatis Jr. back after he, he finishes serving the rest of that suspension. Already has Juan Soto on that roster. They've got the second deepest lineup, I think, in baseball behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's funny because it was so long that the Padres were not a good baseball team. And then they finally started to go all in on some of this talent with a little bit of the tanking strategy. And by the way, with me being a Chicago White Sox fan, anytime I hear Fernando Tatis Jr., I, I cringe a little bit because they got him in a, yes, James Shields deal. James Shields was mm. the prize was the prize that came back in return for Chicago and you let go of Tatis. I don't care how much they were able to get all of this other talent during the tanking days for the White Sox. You got rid of that guy for Shields. It was ridiculous. Number two, I do have the team I just mentioned when talking about the Padres. I have the Los Angeles Dodgers. I said it was a make or break year for Aaron Boone as the Yankee skipper. Dude, if Dave Roberts yeah. doesn't get the job done. <laughs> I don't know how he didn't get fired last year. You won over 110 games in the regular season. He didn't even make the NLCS. I would have fired his butt after that, that historic regular season. Their lineup doesn't – it's not fair. No, it's dumb. I don't know how you pitch to it. So my question, do you like the way – this has to be rapid fire, but do you like the way that baseball changes so much fundamentally once you get from the regular season to the playoffs? Because you're talking about completely different managerial styles. Do you like that? I don't. Uh, I was listening to Buck Show Walter say yesterday he wished they were all seven game series. So, but it's it's what makes this postseason unique. Yeah, I read an article about that. They were talking about how the teams that were the favorites lost because of some of those rules and the way they changed up the series and stuff like that. So I think they should try to do something to get things a little bit more on board because they were talking about the pitchers and how long they have to sit out and how that changes things. Yeah, I mean the NBA. Are you surprised by my? Baseball knowledge once again. Not at all, Wes Bryant. Dr. Dr. <laughs> Wes Bryant, I told you, teams should be consulting you on their biggest offseason moves. And so you'll see it in the NBA with like half-court sets and stuff like that, but baseball changes so much. All right, last one. Who's number one here, Finney? It's got to be the defending champions, Houston. the Houston Astros, because they've got still the best, maybe most the most complete roster in the game. Dusty Baker, after winning that championship, still driven to come back and win 
another one, and they've just owned the AL for the last five, six years. 704 said this list is absolute horrible. The Dodgers just loaded their best shortstop that literally carried the team on his back. I'm going to guess they meant unloaded. <laughs> the best shortstop. <laughs> There's a lot there that is grammatically incorrect, but hey, I'm the guy that struggles spelling Wes and Walker, so I can't knock him too much. All right. Dodgers number two, Houston coming in at number one on Fitty's favorites list. Do you have any problem with the list before we go? Uh, I was looking at the Vegas odds on uh, from DraftKings as he said that the only big discrepancy was he had San Diego at three and DraftKings had them as the sixth best odds. So, and then they had the Dodgers fourth. He had them second. But other than that, the list was pretty commiserate with the uh, odds. All right, there you go. Dr. Wes Bryant talking to us a little bit about some That's baseball such. analysis and the 50 favorites there as far as the World Series favorites go. Who could be the next World Series champion? Let's go to the G-Man. Mike Jeminski, former Duke basketball player, now turned Bally college basketball analyst. He's going to be joining us on the other side of the break. It's Wes Walker, Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, <laughs> 92.7 WFNZ.